Welcome to the SNN Network Canada virtual event. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And on behalf of SNN Network and our lead sponsor, Small Cap Discoveries, I'd like to thank you all for joining us over these next three days. We're really excited for the lineup that we have ahead of you, uh, not only our keynotes and educational panels, but also the presenting companies that will be showcasing their businesses on December 8th and 9th. So I'd like to thank all of our sponsors. I'd like to thank all of you for registering, participating, engaging with all of the content that we have to showcase for you, as well as in one-on-one -on -one meetings. So with that, I'd like to introduce our first keynote presentation of the day. This is titled Cheapies with a Chance and is from our lead sponsor, Small Cap Discoveries, hosts uh, Paul Andriola and Trevor Chawik. With that, boys, take it away. Great. Thank you so much, Bobby. Uh, great to be here. Uh, my name is Paul Andriola. I'm here with uh, my partner, Trevor Tuweek, and uh, we're here with Small Cap Discoveries. Uh, and as Bobby had mentioned, uh, we focus on the Canadian markets. Uh, we really operate in the what we call the shallow end of the pool, uh, the micro caps, nano caps, and the real small stuff out there. Um, and we've been doing this for years. And what we wanted to bring to you guys today is uh, something we call cheapies with a chance. Uh, now, this is something that we've been doing for a number of years. Uh, what we do is we screen all the Canadian listed companies and look for companies that are extremely tiny, um, hence the, the cheapies. Uh, these are companies that meet a certain criteria we look for and um, are, are quite small and, and sort of undiscovered. And we're going to get into why we like this, why we think it's important, and why we think uh, you know retail investors have a really uh, sort of um, outsized chance of uh, overperforming by using some of the the tools that we use here. So, Trevor, um, I'll let you uh, move us along here a little bit. So, yeah. So, um, so what this really is a process for identifying multi-baggers. Um, and if you know what a multi-bagger is, that's that's a company that. Uh, that has gone up in price uh, multiple times. So what we like is um, uh, this type of uh, criteria uh, has screened out some extremely well, you know, big, strong performers over the last number of years. And um, the, the idea here really is, again, like I said, small nano cap companies that have the, the criteria or sort of underlying um, things needed to become a multi-bagger and, and, you know, outperform the market. So why do we do it? Well, we do it partly because we know it works. Uh, we've been doing it for years. Um, we also think this is where we are, uh, you know, can, can be more competitive or able to uh, outperform because of um, sort of the, the nature of the area we're operating in. We're not dealing, we're not competing with you know, sophisticated, uh, large capital players. We're not dealing with institutional players. So we, we think there's an outsized chance of overperforming. Uh, we're going to get into what the process is shortly. Um, it is really what we're talking about is a process to find companies and um, determine, you know, how they are as far as valuation. And again, trying to increase our odds of, of significant uh, returns. Uh, who does this work best for? Well, we really think this works best for the smaller retail investor that has a smaller amount of capital to work with. Again, who it doesn't really work well for is anybody who's got a large amount of capital and they're trying to, to you know, allocate large positions in these nano caps. That just doesn't work well 
for that. It also works well for people who understand these type of businesses and have a high degree of patience because some of the, sometimes it takes a while for these to kick in. Um, and then as far as performance, we're going to show you um, some of the results that we've seen uh, over the last number of years. And, and the nice thing is that it, it's, it's been extremely consistent. So this list usually is anywhere between five and 10 companies. And uh, you'll see the performance if you even just averaged out by buying all of these companies. So maybe flip over to the next page, Trev. Okay, so yeah, I, I touched on a little bit of this. Uh, it's really a process for identifying these, these potential multi-baggers at a very, very early stage. In some cases, we're, we're looking at companies as, as small you know, as $2 million in market cap. Uh, usually, uh, we, we look at as high as about $30 million market cap. We've certainly gone higher than that, but usually somewhere in between that sort of two to five million to 30 million is our sweet spot. Um, and, and really, what we do is this, this list that we put together, we, we do it at least once a year. This year, we've done it twice. Uh, the, the process we actually go through is we, we literally go and manually review every single publicly listed company in Canada and review their financial statements. Um, and, uh, and, and from that, we screen it down to a more reasonable number. And then we get a little bit more serious in terms of what we do to, to, to shrink it down to sort of the top five or top 10 names. And what we're doing is trying to you know, find the new ideas and ideally those quirky little companies that fall between the cracks of everybody else's due diligence. And you know, most of these companies will, will not properly show up in any software screening programs. So we wanna find these because those ones that fall through the cracks are ideally the ones that are uh, more likely to outperform. Next. Okay, so why do we do it? Well, like I said earlier, we do it because you know we, we, we've seen the performance and um, we're trying to review as many companies and you know the old phrase, we're turning over as many rocks as possible to find you know, little gems. Um, we also do it because it's a good process to, to sort of call your existing portfolio. So one of the biggest, you know, sell criteria we have is when we find something that's actually better than something inside our portfolio. So part of that process is just constantly looking for something that's better. Um, you know, we find historically you, you can, if you, you know, these are small companies, but your risk reward a lot of times is is skewed to the upside. So, you know, very little downside because of how cheap these things are and significant upside if you're catching these, these long-term growers at an early stage. So we love the risk reward. Um, and I mean, we love to do it because it keeps us sharp. It keeps us looking, it keeps us active. And like I said, it's constantly helping us call our portfolio. Um, the sell criteria, you know, again, like what I just mentioned, we're looking for a reason to sell one of our, um, you know, lesser performers and try to substitute it with a better performer. And um, it, it's, we use the analogy, it's like fielding a hockey team or a football team, you're constantly trying to put your best players on the ice or on the field. And, you know, constantly looking for something that's better allows you to do that. Um, the returns and profit, I mean, this is, this is now we've been doing it for close, I've been doing it for close to 10 years, probably a little bit more than that. Um, we've been tracking it now for about uh, five or six years, a little bit more officially. Uh, it's, it's a proven uh, system over that time frame, very consistent track record. Again, we're going to show you some examples uh, as we get a little further along. But we found a number of multi-baggers uh, doing this, uh, some including one of my, my biggest returning stocks, uh, returned over 200 times 
the original purchase price. So these can be life altering uh, and life changing investments if you find them early enough. Okay, so why don't we get right into the process? So really uh, some of the criteria we're looking for, the, the sort of the recipe for our stock selecting is this is really based on a, on a concept of, of growth and high growth. So we, we screen immediately, we're looking for companies that are, are generating at least 25% year over year per share growth in revenue. So, you know, you got to watch for how many shares a company issues It might be doing an acquisition or something like that and growing through um, you know, uh, an acquisition and, and they're growing their, their shares outstanding. That is not the same as a company who is growing organically without issuing any shares. So we're, we're leaning towards companies that are seeing a very high rate of growth on a per share basis. Um, so, you know, we, and we know historically over time, high growth companies are going to command a much higher multiple. So we're trying to find these companies that ultimately down the road, uh, with time are going to get those, you know, higher multiples that, that are necessary to, to get, you know, big, big win in share price. Um, and then given microcap inefficiency, growth stocks attract more interest and thus value can be realized. So the funds that eventually we hope to be selling our, you know, our shares to, um, they're looking for these high growth companies. The, the, the challenge they have is if it's too small, they can't really do anything. So they're, they're kind of waiting for the company to grow into a certain size and then Ideally, you know, guys like us will be selling it to them at a higher valuation, a higher price. Um, and, and of course, you, you know, you know, most companies, um, you know, if they're if they're not really growing, uh, I mean, they turn into a bit of a value trap. So we're we're looking for companies that are not dying or, or sort of you know falling into that value trap type of business. We're really looking for companies that are going to be able to excite the market because of their growth and and command that higher valuation. Um, and then this is a bit of a concept where you, you, you know, you're buying high with the idea of selling much, much higher. So a lot of these companies will have started to move, their share prices start to move. You want to buy these things as they're sort of convincing the market that they're starting to deliver on, on fundamental growth. Um, the other thing we look for, so we're not just looking for, for growth at any cost. We want to see there's profitability or near-term profitability. So um, one of our criteria is we want to see at least two back-to-back -back quarters of profit or, or, you know, very significant trending towards profitability. So we'll overlook, you know, a company that's not quite profitable, but you can see maybe they're a SaaS business and they're adding customers. And you can see that as they continue to add customers, that profitability will come. So we'll look at those sort of situations, but we favor companies that are clearly profitable, especially two quarters of profitability. Um, we, we want businesses where you can see there's some, some form of repeatability. Again, a SaaS type of business, there's significant repeatability in there, but um, you, you can have a business uh, where they've got customers that constantly come back and they're constantly buying. So there's a fair bit of repeatability there. Um, that gives us you know, just more visibility in, in the likely outcome and, and future. Um, Realize that you know, in Canada, less than 10% of illicit companies actually make a profit. So right there, you know, we're looking, you know, we've, we've sort of gotten rid of 90% of the companies and now we're focusing on that 10% um, that are showing a profit. And of course, we're gonna to try to wean, wean it down to significantly smaller number than just 10%. Um, and, and we're also looking for companies that do not dilute. So if you're a profitable company, you're what's, what's called financing risk is less likely. So if you're a profitable company, you're less likely to dilute and you know, dilute somebody's share position down uh, to, to a smaller amount. So those companies historically 
tend to outperform over time. So again, profitability is the key thing we're looking for. And then as far as size, $30 million market cap, like I said earlier, uh, traditionally, we see a lot of companies that fit our, our list are going to be less than $30 million. Um, it, it's extremely inefficient uh, pricing, uh, sort of priced market down there. Again, institutions, analysts, sophisticated investors, these market caps are too small for most of these, these individuals and these groups. So hence, there's a lot of sort of quasi amateurs that are sort of fighting over the, the you know, the pricing of these things. And we, we think that's a, that's a very uh, opportune market for those that are willing to do the work. Um, like I said, institutions can't come down here because they just have too much money to allocate and, and, and they, they can't really buy a significant enough position to make it worth their while. Um, supply and demand, um, you know, most of these companies are relatively illiquid. So any kind of um, increase in demand can have, uh, you know, pretty impact, uh, a significant impact on volatility. And, and, you know, ideally if things are going well, and the demand is outstripping the supply. You can see a very, very uh, sharp move to the upside. Uh, tight share structure, you know, that's something we're looking for. We wanna see, you know, ideally less than 25, 30 million shares outstanding. Um, and, you know, it's all a function of supply and demand. The, the tighter the structure, the more demand that comes into the stock and the easier the stock's gonna move. Um, and then we also look for things like, you know, dilution, what kind of dilution is in place, anything over 10% in terms of uh, total stocks, options and warrants. Um, it gives us a little bit of cause for concern. Um, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a major red flag, but we want to see that that somewhat limited supply in the event that our our stock is starting to to fundamentally really start to to perform. All this information we gather from CDAR. So the bulk, well, I'd say the bulk of that information is coming from CDAR. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., you guys have Edgar. Um, CDAR is a filing system up in Canada. It's a very clunky old, um, sort of very hard to use system. We love that fact because it, it prevents a lot of people who are not willing to do the work and uncover those rocks that, that we're constantly flipping over to find. So a lot of inefficiency for a lot of different reasons. We love that. Yeah, so um, share structure, like I said, we, uh, we look for companies that have uh, predominantly less than 25, 30 million shares outstanding, but we wanna see insiders have a, a vested interest in the business. So we look for ideally over 10% ownership by you know, the, the, the management of the company. Uh, we also wanna see directors have a meaningful stake in the business as well. So we're looking for that insider ownership. Um, we, we've seen as high as 50 or 60% insider ownership. Uh, bigger the vested interests, clearly, uh, the more uh, aligned they are with shareholders. Um, the other thing we look for is, is, and we ask ourselves, how discovered is the company? Uh, that's actually why we called ourselves Small Cap Discoveries. Um, we're trying to find companies that are you know, not known by the investment public or, or sort of not properly discovered. Um, you know, is the company being talked about on message boards? Is the company being mentioned on, you know, on BNN or CNN? CNBC or any of these financial uh, news outlets, uh, you know, are, are any analysts covering it? You know, typically these really small companies, they're, it, they just don't, they don't generate the fees necessary to get any analysts or investment bankers interested. So we, we want to see as little chatter about the company as possible. That gives us the belief that it's, it's less discovered and, and then more mispriced. Um, Discovery eventually will will leave or uh, sort of lead the liquidity, and it'll lead to price uh, price discovery. Um, so we want to be ahead of that. And um, in some cases, 
we are the discovery mechanism. So we find out about it a little bit and then, you know, we're telling other people as well and it starts that discovery process. So, um, so those are the things we kind of look for. And then what we also want to watch out for are some, you know, things we call red flags uh, or in this case, maybe even yellow flags. Um, so we're looking for, you know, we want to see that management isn't, you know, overpaying themselves. So we want to look for uh, high management compensation as a, as, a, as a bit of a red flag for us. Um, you know, shares being issued for debt, shares for service transactions. We want to see that the company is really treating their shares like gold. Um, you know, that, that, that really is part of the reason why we see so much success in companies that have less than 30 million shares outstanding is management are really treating those shares like any of the other resources it has and wants to, you know, use it wisely. So we look for these little odd things like, um, you know, shares being issued for transactions as opposed to cash or as opposed to not being issued. Um, that's a bit of a red flag for us when we see those things. And then, you know, does the board have the right incentive? I don't think enough emphasis is, is spent on really determining how, uh, you know, how valuable the board is, but we want to see that the boards are, you know, they have a vested interest in watching out for us shareholders. And how are they being compensated for that? Is this a, you know, a country club board? Are the board members all friends of the CEO? So they just let him do what he wants to do? Or are they there meaningfully acting in, on behalf of us shareholders? Um, we want to see that they have, you know, they're certainly, they're entitled to options and things like that. But sometimes you want to see them actually compensated with cash because that prevents them from needing to, to sort of sell shares to, to compensate themselves. So it really is important to spend some time to see how the board is made up and how they're getting compensated. All right, so who does this work best for? Um, I mentioned earlier, uh, this really, this strategy really works really well for smaller investors, smaller retail investors that have, you know, a little bit less capital to operate with. Um, you know, some of these companies may not, you know, literally may not trade for days or trade a small amount of a dollar value on a daily basis. Um, if you're a large investor, you, you really can't, you know, you can't really make it worth your while down here. But if you're a smaller investor, you have five or $10,000 to invest, you can really uh, be to your advantage to be able to play with these uh, sort of smaller liquid or, or sort of less liquid companies at, at this stage. Um, so, I, you know, the retail investor de definitely has an edge in this part of the market. Uh, again, working with small amounts of capital, um, you, you can be a little bit more nimble and able to, um, you know, operate where, where bigger guys can't. And, uh, but it does, it, I mean, it requires a degree of patience as well. Um, and the other thing is you're, you're really in a market where you're dealing with, a, a, you know, competing with a lot of other amateurs. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not using that word as, as uh, sort of a degradation. It, it's you, you, the big guys who have all the tools and a lot of, you know, different call it computing power. You're not dealing with those competitors. You're dealing with other people who have lesser tools and in some cases, you know, really don't understand what they're doing. So that's your competition. So it gives you a better advantage if you're willing to do the work. Now, why microcap or why even nanocaps? If, if you haven't done it already, I'm going to highly recommend you read a book called What Works on Wall Street uh, by Jim O'Shaughnessy. Uh, you're going to find that they've taken data from the last hundred or plus years and they've really categorized all the different segments of the market and different classes and things like that. And, uh, you know, over time, clearly the best performing class has been these illiquid, 
micro cap and nano cap stocks that have high growth and, and profitability or near profitability. They, they've, they've significantly outperformed almost every other asset class. And that's why we operate in this market. And like I said, our, our experience has proven that, that data out as well. Fantastic mispricing here. Um, you can find companies that are still trading single digit PEs and growing at 30, 40, 50% a year. It's uh, very, very hard to, to do that in the, in the bigger market. So that's, that's why we love these nano caps and micro caps. And um, you know, you're able to find significant long-term winners at a very, very early stage. Follow this type of criteria and you'd be shocked at how often you're gonna stumble onto companies that, that turn out to be, you know, in some cases, mid caps, uh, you know, in time, or, or in some cases, even, you know, larger caps. So, um, and, and then, you know, size and liquidity, we talked about it a number of times, but eventually, if the company continues to grow, the institutional money is going to come, it's going to drive liquidity, it's going to drive, you know, margin expansion and price earnings expansion and all the metric expansions. So it's just a function of time and, and, and the company continue to execute in size, you're going to see the, the, the return and the liquidity is going to be there. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll say it one more time, but big money can't really come down market until the, the company has reached a, a certain critical mass and then, and then it's fireworks. So um, that's why we're here. Uh, okay, so let's really start to tune into some of these things. So uh, these are the kind of returns and some of the examples that, that we've seen here. Uh, the, the, this process has uncovered some life-changing investments. It certainly has for me. Uh, there's a name here that, that we brought up uh, before, but um, this is ideally suited for small investors. Um, we've had 38 companies that have been officially profiled. There's a number larger than that. We've had four companies out of the 38 that have turned into 10 baggers or more. Uh, one of the companies was acquired. Uh, if you took every single company every year uh, and averaged it out, it, it's a significant positive average of turnover that time. Uh, and then one of the biggest perform or best performing stocks in, of the last 20 years is a company called Expel Technologies. Uh, the same process would have found the stock uh, back when it was around 10 or 15 cents. Uh, and it's gone as high as uh, over $100 US. I'm no longer a shareholder. Um, I was er very early on, but uh, you know, I, I will disclose that I'm no longer a shareholder uh, of Expel, but it was uh, very, very good to me in the past. Uh, again, okay, so here's the chart. So back in 2013, when I first discovered the stock, the stock was trading at less than 20 cents. Um, and sub you know, subsequent to that, it's turned into a 200 plus bagger uh, or gone up over 200 times in value. Um, and we're looking at a stock now, I think as of today, it, it's trading around $65, uh, but uh, a significant winner. We discovered this stock using the process that we're talking about here. Uh, another one that came up on our list was a company called Sangoma. Um, I'm not a shareholder of this company, uh, but in 2016, we found it at 29 and a half cents. Now it has done a, I believe a three for one rollback, but still the, the stock is trading around the 22 to $24 area, uh, multi, multi bagger um, uh, coming off that list in 2016. Uh, another one, uh, I, I was a shareholder, no longer a shareholder here, but found this company at six cents in 2014 um, and has since gone up to as high as about $1.20, uh, trading right now around 80, 85 cents. Uh, like I said, was a shareholder, no longer a shareholder, but you can see the chart in terms of the, the, the kind of return you can see on this. 
And here's here's a list of companies right now. Um, this is a this is our cheapest with a chance list. Came out in 2016. Uh, I'll go through this and uh, say that right now I'm not a shareholder of any of those companies. But uh, you can see the average return over that time frame was 532%. So if you bought every single company on that list um, and held it till today, you you saw a return of 532%. Uh, just literally by blind blindly buying the whole the whole index or the whole list. Uh, 2019, so a little bit closer to where we are now. Uh, there's the list uh, now of those companies. Um, I own Spectra Products and uh, Aurora Solar Technologies. Um, but you can see as of 2019, had you blindly bought the whole list, uh, you would have, uh, to date, you'd return 284%. Um, but the portfolio was as high as 378% if that, if that was the make up your portfolio uh, from that time. And then recently, here's the list of companies. Uh, we put this out in early January. Uh, I am a shareholder of Aqueous. I'm a shareholder of uh, Innovatech, uh, Pioneering Technologies, uh, Vigil Health. Uh, so a number of those companies, uh, but had you bought the, blindly bought the whole portfolio in January, you'd be up 120%. And that's with a backdrop of a pretty ugly microcap market over the last year. Um, and then next, and then we just came out with a second one this year. This is about two or three months ago. Uh, I am a shareholder of Fab Forms. I'm a shareholder of Novatech, Vigil Health, uh, and Beware Holdings. So a number of those companies. Uh, but had you bought this uh, blindly about three months ago, we'd be up 26%. Um, and again, in, in light of a pretty bad market that we've seen over the last little while. So that, those are the real world examples, of the companies that we've uh, found through this, uh, this process. Um, maybe Trevor, just jump to the next slide. Um, and that's it. That's kind of it as far as um, the process and some examples. Uh, remind everybody this you know, clearly is not investment advice to buy or sell a security. Um, but if you have any questions about the process, if you have any questions about uh, um, how we uh, sort of go through and find these companies, I, I welcome uh, emails to myself. Uh, uh, you can certainly find me or Trevor uh, on Twitter. You can see our handles there, but uh, reach out to us at paul at smallcapdiscoveries.com uh, or Trevor at uh, trevortrowick uh, at gmail.com. Uh, we welcome your questions, uh, we welcome any comments, and uh, we certainly uh, hope that you'll, um, you know, consider this, this strategy. I think it'll, it'll help uh, your performance and uh, it, it'll make you a sharper investor. So Paul, you, you know, I've got a quick question here. I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, Canadian microcap marketplace right now, and you've talked about it being bad. Like what's going on in Canada or what's happening to the liquidity and, uh, I mean, why is it a bad market right now? So, um, Trevor, I mean, you, you know what we do. We, we, uh, one of the exercises we go through is we talk to a lot of institutional investors and try to find where they're positioning themselves and whether they're going, uh, we, we call it up market or down market. And uh, predominantly this year, we've seen a flight out of micro caps uh, by a lot of the institutional money. Um, and it, what it's done is it's taken liquidity with it. So as they go up market, we see uh, microcaps go with, uh, you know, basically drop in liquidity and drop in share price. So for us, uh, we think it's a phenomenal buyer's market. Um, there's less competition. There's less 
of that strategic money that's down market. And as we saw last year, where uh, the institutional money actually came down market in a significant way, we had one of the best years we ever saw. So I think most of the reason for the drop in, in sort of values in the microcap space are, you know, it's a bit of a hangover from a phenomenal year last year. But a lot of it is simply that liquidity has gone up market and these, these stocks have really, um, you know, suffered from the, the selling that these institutional institutions do when, when they go on to leave the sector. Paul, one other question for you. If you have any uh, takeaways for uh, retail investors or investors in general, how do we how do we go about getting the conviction once we find one of these ideas to actually hold it for this extended period of time? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And again, something you you know, Trevor, we we talk a lot about um, conviction is key if you're going to hold these these multi baggers. It's one thing to find it; it's you know a lot harder to hold it, especially um, well whether the company's performing and doing well. Uh, or the company might be lagging and not performing well. You have to really know what you own. You have to do the hard work to get out there and really understand what what you own, uh, what the culture of the management team are, what they're really trying to do. You, you have to look a little bit longer term. Um, you, you certainly want to watch out for red flags and be concerned if you see something that is uh, looking like it's going sideways. But you want to stay on top of your investments. You want to do the hard work. And treat it like a business. Like if you were going to go out and buy a business, whether it's a hot dog stand or you're going to buy, you know, a software company that's generating millions of dollars in revenue, you're going to go and treat it like it's your business. And if you did, if you took that attitude when you're buying a stock, I think you're going to, you're going to look at it differently when there's a stumble or if the stock uh, has gone up in price. You're just going to treat it differently if you think this is this is your business. So um, do the hard work. Um, get out there and, and understand what you own and, and own it like it would be your business. Paul, one more question just for fun. What's your favorite thing about microcap investing? Uh, it's, it's like constantly going and um, you're, you're treasure hunting, right? You're constantly, you know, you got your metal detector out there. You've got your, your microscope and you're trying to find something that everybody else has missed. Um, like, as I heard one investor that we both know once say that the minute you get a 10 bagger or multi bagger, it's, it's like crack cocaine, you're addicted. Um, all you need is one or two of these and you can see how it's going to change your life. Um, it's, uh, it's addicting. Find a multi bagger, find a stock that goes up five, 10, 20 times in value. And you're going to want to do it over and over again. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. So on that note, um, I want to thank uh, Bobby uh, once again for giving us the opportunity to speak today and giving us the opportunity to uh, sponsor his, um, his conference. Uh, I know a number of the companies that are out there. Um, I am excited to uh, talk to a lot of them and hopeful that everybody uh, has, has a fun time and uh, learns, learns a lot and, and gets as much value out of this conference as, as I do and uh, look forward to talking to as many of you as possible. So thank you and um, we'll, we'll see you soon. Bye now.